Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Liz, who is once again joined by Fran, while Annika deals with more important things. This week we're discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 11, Sue Carl. And I just want to say that Wikipedia has been really unreliable this season with episode titles. I think <laughs> CBS keeps renaming them or whatever. I, I think they did. Yeah, because this was definitely down as the Citadel last week. It seemed to catch a few uh, a few Trek websites by uh, by surprise as well. So I don't think it was just us. No, no. I, I mean, I guess we'll allow it, but <laughs> I guess <laughs> this felt like sort of a return to form after Terra Firma. Like we're back to the main arc and there are no shenanigans and no revelations of long departed characters fetishes it's just <laughs> sort of continuing the theme of the season with another ghost story and another haunted house absolutely and and this theme of you know the the past coming back around and around again and again and people who will do anything to avoid facing a terrible truth or yes. a, a terrifying past. I, I, I'm really into that because it really ties in with season one and Michael's past and her relationship with her family in season two. And it feels organic and natural in a way that sometimes Discovery doesn't quite. <laughs> in the nicest possible way. In the nicest possible way, yeah. It feels, it feels a lot more, like you say, organic this season. And I think because we've seen so many of the characters... Um, yeah. facing the same thing I mean we've had you know, I mean you know we've got Adira and their search for, for their memories we've had I mean we've just you know we've, we've just come out of a you know a, a, a two episode side quest on Giorgio's past and, and kind of her fears and, and facing mm. you know the awful truth of who she was and what her her universe was like yeah, and that her very idealized daughter was not the person she thought actually kind of a pain yeah, yeah kind of awful <laughs> kind of not great <laughs> um but yeah this is we've seen we've seen so many characters this season who have had to face up to something horrible in their past and mm. this week we get yet another one yeah in uh, and... in Sukal, who is the, possibly the most 2020 hero <laughs> we've ever met <laughs> just spent all his life inside watching Netflix and now Netflix wants to talk to him. He's been talking to the computer for 125 years. I, I feel like the premise that a life lived entirely on the holodeck has been explored a lot in, in Star Trek from next gen onwards and also the idea that the holodeck is maybe not a great babysitter but I feel like this is a really good execution of the concept, not just because it has amazing special effects, which I cannot believe are done from people's homes, but because it really feels like the Sukal's mother worked very hard to create an environment that would nurture her son after the, after she died and, and prepare him for the outside world. And she couldn't know that the outside world would take 125 years to come for him. It was so moving. I think when you when you when you mentioned that this this idea that you know this this kid has spent all these years living in this hologram, mm. all alone, waiting yeah waiting for rescue, waiting for a rescue that increasingly seems further and further away. The line about um, I regret to inform you that you're obsolete. You know he's yeah. he you know he's. He's the, the hollows are starting to degrade and he's starting to lose hope that, that anyone's coming. It's, and it's just devastating. Star Trek gothic sort of idea that you live on a holodeck that's decaying around you mm. and, and the people who taught you and nurtured you, who are all you know as, of the outside world, are going to leave you alone. And who knows how long Kelpians live without all the things that can kill them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, he's got, yeah, he has no natural predators. Um, <laughs> he's, um, so maybe, maybe this is what happens to, uh, to Kelpians 
when uh, when they are the top of the food chain. But um, yeah, you get you get the, the there's something weird going on with Sakal's genetics that mm. I'm not even going to pretend to understand. But he he obviously has some kind of increased powers and increased lifespan. But you know the, the kind of the worst thing about that is that he's it means that he's been alone for more than a century. Yeah. And also, there's not really anyone like him out there. Mm. If, if he's the galaxy's only dilithium bender, can he even leave this planet <laughs> without causing another burn? Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's he's got to face up to his... I mean, they've literally said that. He's, he has to yeah. face up to this monster before he, he'll be able to leave the place. But we we don't know what that fear is and i mean I, I guess it's i mean it's got to be it's got to be linked to his fear of being left alone with, yeah right this is kind of as you know the whole his whole the world as he understands it is crumbling around him and this this monster seems to be kind of the most real thing there it's the only hollow that's not glitching it's the it's the most kind of tangible things still in that space we don't we don't know what it is and and yeah until he faces up to it we don't know if he's going to be able to leave and what his leaving will do to the planet as he he seems to have this this really intense connection with it yeah my brother texted me to say that this is the most doctor who episode of star trek and at first i was like not everything is doctor who julian because i'm a really terrible <laughs> sister and honestly my siblings deserve better but I, I think he's right because when i watched it again i was like this is i earlier this season i compared the musical clue to a, a doctor who concept and it felt very fairy tale and it felt like the moffat era and a lot of the moffat era was about scared children who don't know their own power who are waiting for something and that is this story and is. The, the strange the strange nightmarish environment that's very much a child's nightmare and his own with his little sanctuary with his bunk bed and his night lights and the old man to read him a story but then also the citadel the castle where he goes to hide it's like sukal is a child he might be over a century old but psychologically he's a little he's, boy he's still a kid yeah he's still a kid um yeah despite despite all of these you know i mean and, you know these, these hollows that have been designed to like you said cater to pretty much anything that he could possibly expect to you know to to come across in his mm. life including how to repair the replicators and including how to repair the replicators which which does which does beg, beg the question of Presumably, there is a replicator somewhere in this program, but I guess maybe I'm. I'm, I'm not, I think I, I can feel myself opening a can of worms, and I'm just going <laughs> to lower the lid on that. <laughs> Put oh, it to one side. I'm not going to think about the technicality of this too no, much. No, <laughs> I've gone many years without thinking about whether or not holographic food is real, and I'm just going to keep not thinking about that. Yeah, no. Let's let's move on yeah. swiftly. Yeah. Move swiftly on from that one. But yeah, this this scared kid who has created this nightmare, who is living in this nightmare. We don't know whether it was always nightmarish or whether it's just that it's become that way. And I kind of feel like his mother, if she's gone to the the, the, the bother of creating this world for him, she wouldn't have created a nightmare hologram no. for him. That seems, that seems you know, wrong. So I, I feel like <laughs> this nightmare has been created probably by Sukal, um as it, as it all deteriorates. He's been there. You know, he talks about how there used to be more programs and, and mm. he's, he's so excited to have a new one after all these years. But he remembers, you know, the kelp fishing program with his mother program. And, and that decayed long ago. And how, how long did they last after his mother died? Were they already starting to fall apart then? These may not be questions that get answered, but... Uh, it's funny because I sort of watched this episode and went, oh, yeah, this is very nice, but I don't know that I have much to say about it. And as it turns out, I am wrong. <laughs> yeah, this is, I, I you know, when I, I think when I saw the, um, the the tag for this episode was that they were, they were finally going to reveal the cause of the burn. I was kind of like, ah, this is going to be like the Klingon war all over again. I've, I've yeah. kind of forgotten that this arc is happening. I was not expecting 
that kind of gut punch on a Christmas morning. Um, <laughs> it was it was genuinely, genuinely, really moving. I wasn't interested in the burn because I figured it would be some sort of wanky, timey-wimey thing and worst case scenario, Michael herself caused it and it would just be very yeah. recursive and self-indulgent. And instead, it's something new and something unexpected and the Federation was destroyed by a lost child who's, for whom rescue never came. I mean, more than that, this the, 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 the child, this, this 125-year-old child, has lived in this hologram that replays the day that Kaminar joined the Federation over yes. and over and over again. Like, it was obviously... I'm, I, I I'm unclear about the timeline, as I always am, but I, I, I don't, so I don't know exactly when Kaminar joined the no, Federation. No, but the but uniforms make it, it look it, quite it's, recent. It, yeah, exactly. So uh, it, it feels like it's, it's, it's certainly important enough for his mum to have included it in the, in the hologram in the first place. But it's this you know this this is held up as this important thing that this is you know this ideal the federation are going to come for you and they never do and this 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 hologram just keeps on replaying and replaying and replaying that that day it really was a gut punch that 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 realization i did not have that realization until i saw your addition to our episode notes and i just it's just so sad and like mm. consider the trouble that it took discovery's crew they had to go to so much trouble to just find the distress call so you can't really blame the federation but at the same time it's fitting that the burn was caused by their own failure yeah it, yes exactly and, and the other thing is i'm, I'm unclear <laughs> anything to do with timelines i'm unclear on mm. but the other thing is i i kind of so i i get the impression <laughs> This is where you can tell me I'm wrong. I get the impression that the ship crashes before the burn. So it's yeah. not the crash of the ship that causes the burn. Yeah. So the distress the distress call goes out while there's still a federation and while there's still our spaceships, you know, potentially in the vicinity or at least, you know, with a chance of, of hearing the distress call. So they're you know, I kind of I, I get that after the burn they were kind of busy, but, uh, but there like was a years. window. Uh, exactly there was a five-year window for them to, to kind of turn up and do the right thing and they never do and even knowing <sighs> yeah. that the ship has gone missing in a dilithium nursery they just don't make the effort. right and I, I believe that the triggering event for the burn is probably the death of sukal's mother that she held yeah, on for I've... five or six years and couldn't survive any longer it was just his grief that yeah. has, yeah, yeah. Sort of triggered this this mass dilithium explosion. Like you say, it's it's kind of that idea that the Federation, through its own inaction, mm. has caused this this huge catastrophe, and you know this 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 enormous catastrophe that had, you know, ramifications across well, every quadrant, and the whole the whole galaxy has been changed by this, and it's yeah. this sort of thing of you know. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one and whatever. But actually, in this case, they've they've kind of screwed over the needs of everybody by by not trying, seemingly, to, to find this kid. And the needs of the many are all very well. But in Unification 3, the Vulcan president is like, yeah, we've realised that uh, basing our whole culture on a line of dialogue from a movie from 1982 is uh, <laughs> bad. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, who knew? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I feel like this is, like, the Federation has been destroyed by its own complacency. Yeah. And it, but it's also the fandom will destroy itself if it gets complacent. Yeah, it, it, it is. It yeah. is. And, and it's, it's, it's also, it, it's kind of, um, it's continuing that same theme that we saw in, in Picard as well, which I realised the other day also came out this year. And that seems like um, Im impossible no, news that, to that me. No, that can um, possibly be true. Right, <laughs> Picard was apparently this year, five hundred years ago this year, uh, yeah, and so. <laughs> but there's there's definitely a parallel there with that kind of disillusionment with the Federation that we we started to see there with you know the the abandon of evacu evacuation of of the Romulans, um, the way the XBs are kind of left behind and yeah. and not allowed to be franchised that they're, they're sort of that they are left in this no man's land and 
you know, they're not Borg, but they're also not welcome in the Federation. So, the, like you said, the Federation has kind of been disappointing since at least 2380-something, but it's it probably, the rock goes deeper than that. Very, um, it's yeah. just that what we're what we're seeing in these two these two shows is that we're kind of getting an outsider's perspective for the first time. So yeah. although you know, so Picard is very obvious because he's he's left Starfleet. No, but he was still part of it, and he was there for all of these events. Whereas... Exactly, and, it, and it's only really when he he start when he leaves and he joins up with you know people like Seven, people like Rios, who have who've, you know, and 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 Raffi, who are also now on the other side of it, that he starts to see it. And in Discovery, they might all still be part of Starfleet, but they're not wearing the same uniforms as anyone else. No, they're not really trusted yet. They're kind of they're not really inside i would say they they kind of do have i mean you know and they're literally 900 years in the future so you know but they they do have this outsider's perspective for the first time and it feels like the show itself is kind of you know we're we're learning with the characters about this this you know really unpleasant side to the federation or this this lazy side to the federation um that maybe they've not noticed before I think that puts it really well. And an interesting thing is, like, in the first season and a half of The Next Generation, one of the big flaws in the show was that the Federation was very complacent and superior and sort of going from planet to planet delivering a lecture about how great they are. And famously, it's the introduction of the Borg in season two, which ends that and metaphorically for the in terms of the writing but also in terms of giving the federation a real threat again and it's just so interesting how this is this is the trap that the federation in every generation falls into self-satisfaction and complacency eventually it gets really smug with itself and Mm. forgets that it's actually it's got to it's not just enough to sit on your laurels you've you've actually got to look after the people that you've you know, you've welcomed these people in with open arms. You can't just leave them to fend for themselves. And that brings us back to the Barzan seed ship and how that is also left to its own devices. Yeah. Yeah, this is really interesting. And it's another, and it's, and it's another ghost story. Yes, another haunted house. <laughs> I'm thinking it all of, comes back. I'm thinking of two things. One is what... Philippa Georgiou says in her will to Michael, take care of yourself, but take care of the people in your care. And I think that yeah. is that is the lesson that the Federation has forgotten. And I can't remember what my second point was. Though I'm sure it was great. <laughs> but I'm sure it was great. <laughs> oh, no, I have remembered. Uh, at the beginning of the season, people were complaining that, uh, of course, it was an outside force that destroyed the Federation. They can't... You know, these Americans can't conceive of a situation where their empire falls because it is weak. But no, the Federation destroyed itself. Not intentionally, not through violence, just through a lack of care. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I think love that's... It. I love it too. I mean, it's 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 devastating, but I love it. <laughs> it's devastating um, in a way that makes sense. It is. and And it's... I think what I what I really liked about that, the, the, my probably one of my favourite things. Favourite? I'm not sure whether favourite is the right uh, word to describe it because it was it was very upsetting. But the <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing was very upsetting. But the the I think you're right. That that phrase from George O now is kind of in in my head. And watching Michael with Sukal and that that moment where she's she plays along. And yes. Where she she goes, where she figures out what he needs from her, and that she you know she's she she coaches him through social units and what it means to have a family, and all I could think of was that she was one hundred percent the right person to connect with him. That she was you know I mean more so than Saru even, she was the person who was going to understand this kid because she has been that kid. She's been right. that scared little kid you know, being hidden in the cupboard when the Klingons came to attack. Um, and then, you know, and then being left, as, you know, essentially alone in a strange place. Um, and I sort of feel like she was, she was, you know, 
she the, the empathy from her you could just it radiated off of her she absolutely understood this kid no it's and extraordinary it was it really i mean she she was i mean her she was extraordinary in, in pretty much every scene in this episode i thought but that yeah, it's one not that she's ever ordinary really but i no. feel like the scene where she pretends to be the hologram was Sometimes there are scenes where Michael is very clever and it's like the writers are pointing at her going, eh, eh, look how smart she yeah. is. She totally deserves to be the heroine. And this was just very natural and understated and didn't have that flashiness about it. And no. Well, this is it. It wasn't, it wasn't her using, you know, using logic or using uh, you know, hand-wavy science, anything like that. It was no. purely empathy, understanding her own experiences with her and just being a you know being human um yeah doesn't really help because he's kelpian but (laughs) that's the other thing she's using emotional intelligence and empathy Mm. which i think some trekkies maybe sort of don't respect like i think there is a tendency among some trekkies to value logic and you know Mm. vulcan shit over you know emotion. more over emotional the more feminine intelli- emotional intelligence traits and this is such an emotionally intelligent episode to the point where you know every single person on that away team needed to be there yes yeah absolutely and and it was it, yeah it was it was emotional under emotional intelligence that that got them out of there and more well got certainly got michael out of there in more or less one piece Mm -hmm. but they didn't need a security chief on that on that mission they didn't need someone to go in and you know take the monster down what they needed was you know michael with her empathy hugh with his deep understanding of you know being left in a place where you feel trapped Mm. and you know having this having an experience that no one else can connect to which i thought was it was another really smart choice to take him on the on the mission as well as the fact that he had all the radiation medicine that has disappeared but Um, (laughs) like anyone could have carried that kit but only hugh has been through this experience and it's it's just so nice that they're acknowledging it and it's not just a throwaway joke and yeah yeah i think i do still feel like there's uh there's definitely a conversation that he and Paul need to have though <laughs> like, I, think, I think maybe that five minute uh therapy session with Kat possibly was not enough um and and they both maybe just need to have a little sit down and uh yeah. <laughs> go through what uh <laughs> what they're both feeling um because it's it's obviously still weighing deeply on both of their minds and you know yeah. they've they've come so far and I think this sort of you know the fear that he the, the paul's fear that he could lose Hugh all over again mm. um is so raw still and completely understandable and yeah. i was watching that scene thinking quite a lot of the time when a character is setting off for an adventure and their partner is like no no you can't leave i find that really annoying because it's like mate obviously they have to go who else can do it that the plot yeah. requires <laughs> it's it a job but in this case, I understood that this is a fear born out of trauma. And as Wilson mm. Cruz said in a video that I watched on Twitter this morning, uh, Hugh is not a housewife and he actually has a job and has to go on away missions and stuff. Exactly. And Paul needs to work through that. But I, I, I would enjoy seeing that process of recovery and dealing on Paul's part and overcoming his urge to overprotecting Hugh. Yeah, he doesn't need wrapping up in in cotton wool. I have an unpopular opinion about their arc in season two. I really don't care for it particularly because, not because they get back together. I think the fact that they get back together is wonderful just to to duck that flame before it um, gets lobbed at me. Okay, but I've I've got my lighter ready. (laughs) (laughs) What I don't like about season two is that season two centered paul's pain over hughes yeah it made it hughes problem that you know that needed to be fixed it wasn't that that paul needed to meet him halfway it was hugh your trauma is upsetting paul and you need to get over it um no i, I, I feel like agree. It was, yeah it, it was it was 
I, I could see what they were trying to do, and I think I think it sort of yeah the 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 therapy session with Cat was a shorthand for a, a, probably a deeper conversation that was going on off screen, if you like. But I, I like to think that Hugh had some sort of support network in terms of like some actual therapy. <laughs> Skype therapy is a thing, guys. It's 2020. It was 2019 at the time. You can <laughs> figure it out. Exactly. <laughs> so I do hope he got more support than we saw, but it, it certainly it felt like um, it was all about Paul and it was all about yeah. the way that Hugh was holding Paul back. And um, it sort of feels like the, the balance is shifting this season and they're both kind of finding, they're both finding a way to, to, to be um, sort of both with each other, but also with their trauma in this mm. strange place. And I'm really pleased to see that because I, I, I was I, I was uncomfortable about that in season two. I was too. And it feels like Hugh is evolving from a love interest into a character in his own right this season. Yeah. And yeah, very much so. He's he's finally he's finally getting a a, a personality outside of Paul, which is yeah. um it's really? very needed, I think. I, and I always knew that the potential was there, but they couldn't just coast on Wilson Cruz's charisma forever. And you know, I'm so happy with how season three has fixed so many of the errors that I saw in season two and the flaws of season one. There is one error that has yet to be fixed, but I'm guessing <laughs> Kat's still the, uh... <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe, no, I was going to say maybe she's the monster, but that that's somehow worse. Let's, oh, let's leave no, her. No. <laughs> One thing I would like to, to see uh, continue, though, is Hugh's Bajoran earring. He should keep that. He looks amazing in it. It really suits him. They really should sell that, because I've always wanted a nice Bajoran earring, and that one was very shiny. It was. It's good. It'd be good merch. Yeah. Like, I mean, they sold, you know, they sold Darge's pendant from, from Picard. I feel like yeah. a Bajoran earring thingy would be, be great. It's frankly amazing he looks that they so haven't good. done this yet. Like, DSP right? has been around for a very long time now. <laughs> I think just put us in charge of, put us in charge of merch. This is... <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've got ideas. <laughs> Speaking of cats, can I just say that anyone who takes a cat into a radiation field is a monster and I am reporting book to the Space RSPCA? I'll be honest, I, I guess that Book probably didn't have any say in the matter and that Grudge had probably fallen asleep on some clean laundry that he'd forgotten about and, you know, was like, I'm not moving for... What do you mean there's an emergency? This <laughs> is <laughs> my nap time. Because <laughs> cat. I don't own a cat, but that is my understanding that I think if there, even if there was an emergency, it would not be... Uh, it would not disturb nap time. I... Well, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let book off is what I'm saying. No, I guess that's fair. And the real question is, has Grudge returned to Book's ship, or is she in sick bay? And your note here is, like, I, I'm <laughs> going to compare the ending of this episode to the Voyager season two finale, Basics Part One. Only this one's good. Uh, <laughs> but I assume that Grudge is going to. You, you've written it here. Is Grudge going to break out of sickbay and save the day like a furry, less terrible, question mark, suitor? <laughs> I mean, look, I think we've been we've been waiting all season to find out what the deal is with Grudge. And right. maybe, just maybe, Grudge is a terrible psychic, not psychic, telepathic... Serial you know, killer. Serial killer. <laughs> Certainly of mice, but, um, you know, maybe <laughs> is going to save the day accidentally by breaking out of sickbay. I can see that. I, I, I can it's, see it's that. a moment well. to shine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also think that clearly they had to get rid of Jojo before Osara claimed the ship because she would just do the suitor thing in about probably a quarter of an hour and without stopping along the way to have a single moral crisis. They had to send her off into the multiverse just so that this plot would work. <laughs> and it's kind of a shame because I was looking at Asara and thinking, your little leather outfit fits you so badly. And we know from Giorgio that it's not that the costume department is bad with this sort of fabric. It's that it's a very subtle way of, of saying Cyrus that Taylor is, is really bad. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. Like, 
people are saying, oh, she's not very interesting. But I, I have to admit that I would like to see her when she's not in performance mode because I feel like mm. a lot of what she's doing is a front. I'm really enjoying the front, though. But I feel like she's a con artist and a bully and a pirate queen and that's enough. Like I, I don't, I don't need her to have a rich inner life. I need her to sprawl in the captain's chair and be a massive bitch. I love her. Basically, I, I yeah. To to the surprise of absolutely nobody, I adore her. <laughs> um, but you know, she is she is basically my Harry Mud for from for this season. Uh, but with you know, possibly worse hair. Actually, I was going to say better hair, but maybe worse hair. Uh, and added tentacles. Yeah, the ship tentacles were like interesting. Ship tentacles. <laughs> I love that she has done what Harry Mud couldn't and taken the ship, and she has figured out how to hijack the spore drive to piggyback other right. ships along with it, which I don't think the Federation has managed. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So actually, what we're saying is we're taking it all back, and that actually she's really good. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I feel like <laughs> she is basically a second-rate Jojo and they are very aware of it and it's just yeah it's just so smart it is it is that ship would not have been big enough for, for the both of them um and instead we get a wonderful Syra Tilly face-off which uh I got I got so I mean you talked about basics part mm. one I got some huge Janeway vibes from Massively. from Tilly Oh my god! Just the I, I almost expected her to come out with um, the the line about you know I don't like I don't like uh, bullies I don't like threats I don't like bullies and I don't like you. It was it was oh it was so good. <laughs> she was so good. <laughs> Back in season one, or actually no, it would have been around the time of the short tracks in the introduction of Tilly's espresso problem. I had worked mm -hmm. out how Tilly was the ancestress of Catherine Janeway. And obviously it hasn't worked out quite like that, but I feel like there's a sort of spiritual connection there, uh, uh, including how Janeway starts out as a scientist and move, moves into command and Tilly is an engineer aspiring to command. But yes, Tilly is just really, really good. And the look on Vance's face when Saru says that he's joining the away team oh, and leaving Tilly in charge, Vance is thinking, finally, someone competent. <laughs> See, that's not what I read. I, I thought that he was uh, un uncertain about Tilly and I was going to slap him through the screen for that. Uh, but I love no, that I, you, I, read, I <laughs> you read it completely differently to me. And I love your version so much more. That's great. <laughs> I suspect your version has more in common with reality, but <laughs> Tilly is just really good in command. She's she is unnatural, and I think as much as I have said all season that Saru is maybe not very good at being captain, he has mentored her admirably, and between him and Michael, she's basically gotten the Giorgio mentorship. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, she's kind of oh the two halves of uh, mm. of, of oh of Giorgio's leadership sort of coming together between the two of them. I like that a lot. Again, it felt a lot. A lot of a lot of this season has felt very organic and 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 realistic. But the fact that Giorgio was kind of front and center in Michael's pep talk, Michael's amazing pep talk um, to Tilly. Again, this this empathy thing. Mm. But the fact that she, you know, having you know, just walked out of the uh, the memorial service for, you know, her captain's mirror counterpart. Of course she would be at the Thank forefront you. of her mind. But she was exactly what Tilly needed um, to sort of hear that, you know, this... And actually, it's kind of the first time that Michael's really talked about Giorgio at all. You're right. She always shut down, like Tilly would ask was asking mm. about her in season one and Michael would shut that right down. And then the Emperor turns up and it's she sort of sucks all the oxygen from Georgia's yeah. memory, as the Emperor does. Uh, yep. <laughs> she fills like, a room. She does. It's like with the Emperor gone, Michael is now in a place to think about the Captain again. Yeah. And I think she's, yeah, she's finally kind of separated the two out in her mind, which mm. which really needed to happen. I think for Tilly, it was that 
realization that kind of down the you know down the ages all captains have had a crisis of confidence you know all of them even Giorgio had moments where they weren't certain moments where they didn't know what the right choice was and you know moments where they had to just ground themselves and take a deep breath and I think that was and it was kind of it was it was brilliant because it was exactly what she needed to hear because my you know without sort of Michael being like, oh, so you're really nervous. You must be really nervous about taking over as captain. It was mm. Michael went, yeah, I, I, I had a horrible time. Giorgio left me in charge the first time. Uh, I was really stressed, but also, you know, here's how I got through it. Um, and just that that knowledge for Tilly that she's not alone in feeling like this, or she's not, you know, she's not, um, you know, less for feeling that way. Yes. Um, it was and really, it, I think, really important. And it goes back to her walk with Saru in Iceland in episode two where she mm. admits that she's afraid and he's like, yeah, I know, I don't mind. Like, Yeah, yeah. This is normal. This is, you're supposed to feel afraid. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't feel afraid, I'd be worried. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and I feel like a lot of this season has been pushing the idea that just because you're emotionally compromised doesn't mean you're the wrong person for the job. And when it comes to Saru, I don't necessarily know that he has earned that indulgence yet. Mm. But at the same time, he made no decisions this episode that I disagreed with. No, I mean, it was, again, it was it was probably the first time that he's really listened to other people. I think also possibly the first time that he's accepted that, that, that he is emotionally compromised and that, yeah. you know, he didn't struggle much when Michael sort of told him mm. that you know this is where you are going to be most useful um so I think maybe he's coming to that realization too but yeah he 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 got it right this episode I think mostly um but he's not he's still not able to separate out the, the kind of personal and the the leadership stuff quite no. whereas i mean tilly got it i mean it was amazing like watching tilly kind of you know straight out the gates immediately dealing with a huge crisis mm. and you know her best friend down on this dilithium planet that's exploding and out of contact and now and now osiris turned up with her her huge gunship her um, huge gunship and no. her range of high school mean girl insults I feel like, you know, last week when Tilly, Tilly was knows a about, thing about those. <laughs> that's the thing when when Tilly was talking last week about how much she learned from Emperor Giorgio, I was like, really? Are you sure? <laughs> now I get it. Tilly can just—it's <laughs> water off a duck's back to her because she's heard it before. She knows it's not the entire truth, and she knows it's not important. So uh... <laughs> she did. She's learned. She's learned yeah. so much. She's come so far. Um, but. <laughs> I love that. Um, but she, she, you know, she immediately has this humongous crisis to deal with, where a very, very personal problem for her has has come up because Michael is down on the planet, and she doesn't hesitate with, you know, the really hard decisions that it sort of feels like Saru is still flip flopping over, and actually even. I mean, we were sort of saying he hadn't made any bad decisions this episode. Mm. He did almost do a 180 on even going down to the planet in the first place. It's kind of the second that the the kind of um, the, the the fake ploy uh, that that Osiris was going to Kaminar um, was mentioned. Yeah, he immediately was like, "Oh, we'll go to Kaminar," and Michael's like, "We're at the we're doing the rescue." <laughs> Wait, one thing at a time, um, dude. One thing, one thing at a time, Saru. Seriously. Um, so he's he really isn't thinking clearly, and that's not his fault. This is, you know, it is a horrible, stressful situation. Yeah, uh, and all of his reactions are perfectly understandable, and it do- probably does take practice to set, you know, match crisis against crisis and work out which one to prioritize. And I very deliberately chose a career where I don't have to do that. So I'm just impressed that Saru <laughs> even gets out of bed every day. Right? It's. I mean, uh, this is it. I. I. I'm sitting here judging uh, 
<laughs> from my position of having to make absolutely no life or death decisions on a on a daily basis uh, beyond you know looking both ways when I cross the road. Um, right, right. <laughs> but I, I do feel like his limitations are are really starting to show and. No, to, to, to be fair to the guy, he had an in, incredibly dysfunctional uh, introduction to the command. You know, he he wasn't the first officer on the Shenzo. Um, he then spends a year and a bit of the war under just the worst possible captain, um, and, and learning all the wrong lessons. Um, and and he really wasn't. With... I I fully believe that Lorca chose. Saru, partially because he served under Giorgio, but partially because he was easy to manipulate. Yeah, which which did make me, which is exactly what what worried me when uh, back when he asked Tilly to to be his his first mm. officer. Um, that line about is it because I'm capable or is it because I'm compliant? Yeah, and just the hairs in the back of my neck went up because it was exactly that. It was. I, I would not ever compare Saru and Lorca, but Lorca surrounded himself with people that he could he could bend to to do what mm, he wanted. Mm. And my, my terror was that he was gonna he was going to kind of use Tilly as this sort of you know this this kind of a sounding board who wouldn't answer back and who would just kind of go along with everything he said and back him up and make him look good. And it doesn't seem to have played out like that, which is which is a huge relief. But there's no getting away from the fact that yeah he he had a really bad introduction to all of this and he is kind of having to catch up yeah um so you know actually all things considered he's doing pretty well oh but he's um doing great considering everything <laughs> I just, considering a whole lot <laughs> from the position of starfleet command and what makes a good ship as opposed to what makes a good television series i wonder if they shouldn't have put in a 32nd century captain to yeah, or, the crew or, through. Yeah, kind of to integrate them a bit yeah. more. Yeah, I fully expected Lieutenant Willa to to take Nan's place. Yeah, where did she go? <laughs> I don't know, and I'm really sad because I love her. But she was great. Um, but and yeah, they probably could have used a you know a a, a security chief mm. with you know an actual boarding situation going on. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure who has that job right now. Is it Reese? Because I don't know if he's very good at it either. Like he's, <laughs> I know he's the weapons officer, but mostly when I think of him, I think of Lorca in season one going, Mr. Reese, can I trouble you to fire at something? <laughs> That's how I know his name. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, I Yeah, I don't know that I would trust him to, uh, you know, to oversee the entire security of a whole starship. <laughs> And I yeah, definitely no don't think the it. series needs another regular, and they certainly don't need a third one-year-only captain, who I assume would be played by another attractive white man. But <laughs> so, so as like, is tradition. Yes. So, from a storytelling <laughs> level, I completely agree that putting Saru in charge was a good idea. I just wonder if maybe Admiral Vance regrets. Yeah, I, I think this ship is uh, keeping him awake at night. Many, many reasons, uh, and their, their captain is just one of those reasons. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I, I do think maybe he ought to have just kept slightly tighter uh, control over over that ship. Well, you know, while they find their way in the new century. <laughs> that's that's the thing, and like you know, you have ships in next gen that come forward a hundred years through time and i always wonder what kind of um integration they go through and how starfleet mm. deals with that and what's the paperwork like and again this is something that i find interesting and is maybe not reflexive of the reflective of the entire fandom but uh you know that they, they could have thrown me a bone here could have had a month a paperwork montage yeah like the the training <laughs> session with the new badges was great but we could have had more. Uh, speaking of the new we badges, could. I really enjoy the proof that Jet Reno is the irresponsible adult who will give a teenager a beer or a transporter badge. <laughs> she gave her. She gave Adira a fake ID. <laughs> oh my god, she did. Like, Adira is very grounded. 
Hugh is probably also Dara. grounded, but Hugh is a grown man and Adira is a teenage person. And yes, they are, they're going to be in trouble, I assume. They are, they are so grounded when they get back. <laughs> I, I enjoyed Paul's reaction. Of, ever again. Yeah. Book's whole, I feel like I should stop this or something, but oh no, they're gone. Oh well. <laughs> Too late. What can I do about it? Not my kid, not my problem. I'm more concerned about my highly radioactive girlfriend. <laughs> Which was also oh, just a lovely, a lovely moment. You're horribly radioactive. So what? <laughs> what I was reminded um, of through like the various trips into the radioactive nebula. One was in the first <clears> season where Michael, in the first episode, where Michael does the spacewalk and... She unscrews like noodles. Noodles! Yes. Yes. And... and <laughs> So the, the fear she feels for Book here is the fear that she has inflicted on many other people in her life. And I'm not saying it's That's okay. about time. Mm. And I was also reminded <laughs> of uh, the episode... Oh, it's uh, the first episode in the Mirror Universe where she's on the bridge watching Ash navigate through the wreckage and knowing he's having a flashback and worrying her heart out but not being able to show it. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoy the parallels between these scenes and how Michael's relationship with Book doesn't deny or undercut her relationship with Ash. No, it's never been, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, I think, I do, I do think Book is a considerable upgrade, but, oh, yeah. uh, he's, but he's never, yeah, she, she, you know, she doesn't look back on Ash with regret, which I think is very big of her because, um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of there are a lot of problems with 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 that relationship. Not, I think he, you know, but ultimately he was a good guy. Yeah, there's sort of no regret and no, um, you know, no animosity there. And there's kind of no point in having any any animosity given that it was 900 years ago and you know he's he's long gone. There's no, <laughs> um, no need to nurture that grudge any any longer. But when she has yeah, this new is... grudge to nurture. New grudge to nurture. Oh, I mean, grudge. The, the her face when book went immediately to grudge in sick bay. <laughs> Just like, yep, this is this is it. This is the chain of <laughs> command on this ship. <laughs> the joy she has in making fun of grudge of grudge and book's relationship is just. It just feels like so small and domestic and silly, and I love it. So sweet. <laughs> However. Speaking of book, and I hesitate to say this because I, I don't want to, I really don't want to think bad of him at all. So I'm, I'm going to go with, oh, caveat this, uh, my horrible, horrible thought is that the tech that they installed might not have been as benign as he thought. I... And that that is how Asira has found them. And or he did it on purpose. But I don't believe, I don't want to believe that bit. So I'm going to go with, he just didn't know that it was mm. actually terribly evil tracking device. I fully suspect that he will be accused of installing it deliberately, mm. but I definitely think that it was unintentional and that he thought he had disabled its more malevolent qualities. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I also, so. I also wonder, is Rin still on the ship or is Annika Zandorian having a very, very bad day? Oh, no. I completely forgot about Rin this episode. Although there was the, the, the Andorian who did show up and I had a, I had a, a, a kind moment of, of confusion. minor, a moment of, of crisis uh, yes. in that I thought both the, the, the lovely men that we've met this season were going to turn out to be terrible. Oh, so maybe, maybe we're going to get a Rin grudge team up. Oh, I am so into that. And <laughs> if this gives me the opportunity to like advance my Rin Tilly shipping, I'm kind of into it. Though, Very into it. I will say I watched some Enterprise on Christmas Day, and uh, it's it's a much better show if you're like ninety percent Lambrusco, uh, not good Lambrusco, like the the shitty fizzy stuff. That's what I drink on Christmas because it's traditional in my family. Uh, but. It was one of the episodes with the Andorians, and I really, really miss the remote control moving antennas. Like, Aww. it's it's <laughs> sure if they could do that in two thousand, surely they can do that even better in the twenty twenties. Like, bring back a right? moving antenna. We're not going to get that with Rin. Sadly. Well, no, no, but <laughs> there are other Andorians. 
There are. There are so many Andorians. Like, um, these stupid tentacles, they make me want to learn to animate because they make me laugh so much. They're great. <laughs> space tentacles. More space tentacles in more shows, please. 100%. <laughs> I'm very pro-tentacle. My tentacle agenda. Absolutely. I don't really have anything more to add, save that I'm terrified and curious for next week, and I assume that this is going to be a three-part finale. Oh, it must be, mustn't it? Because yeah, we're on the we're on the home stretch now. Mm. Can't see how we're going to wrap up the burn and you know be done with it next episode. No, oh. and I kind of like the idea that the way they've set set up the Federation, this system, like Federation headquarters is being threatened and taken over by pirates, and it's still a fairly small scale story. And, and even the cause <laughs> of the burn is a very small scale personal story. I like that. I think it has more. I think it has much more resonance for that as well. Yeah, like the stuff with control was. It had potential. Too big as an interesting story mm. but they sort of walked past everything that appealed to me about it and went for oh, i don't even know i think i think going straight in at all sentient life is going to be wiped out is it's too big it's 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 you can't kind of you can't get your head around that as a as a concept but you can get your head around the concept of scared kid being left alone and i think that's why that's why this worked so much better. It's it was a small story. It was a small personal story, mm. and just worked. And I love it. And I can't wait to find out where where it goes. I know, I know. And I feel, you know, you with modern Trek, I tend to get to this point of the season, and I'm really nervous, and I'm scared that they're going to drop the ball. And I can think of some ways this season could still fall apart at the last minute. Um, mm -hmm not hanging my hopes on the ongoing survival of Admiral Vance, but I feel like they've laid very strong foundations and now they just need to let the balls fall into their natural places. Exactly. I was a little bit worried with the, yeah, having, having a two, a two week, uh, like, like I've called it side quest mm. uh, that we were suddenly going to end up with uh, all the, all the pacing that they seem to have discovered this season suddenly going out the window, but it does feel like we're right back and we're in the right place for, you know, the final, the final furlong of this of this season. So yes, ooh. and I think it, I think it helps Good that Shojo's three months in the mirror universe were thirty seconds subjectively. Yeah. Like yeah. this trip, this side quest took them like two days, not however long, plus the nine month skip they had in season one. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. That would have been that would have been too much of a uh, a nudge off course. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I think so, I think we can wrap up. I think we can. I'm going to do an outro for you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at at antimatterpod and on Facebook. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week when we'll be talking about the next episode of Star Trek Discovery, which is hopefully still going to be called <laughs> The Good of the People. <laughs> but I mean, who knows? <laughs> who know? It could be anything by next week. It could be anything.